Welcome back to the Group Answers Podcast, episode 67. I'm Brian Daniels, always here with Chris Surratt. What's going on, Brian? Hey, welcome back. It's been like a week since we were on the air. I know. Uh, it feels like forever. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, how is, uh, how's summer going for you? You know, we're kind of winding down. It seems like every year it goes, it goes faster and faster. It looks like I follow you on Instagram. And I would recommend everybody follow Chris mm. on Instagram. Mm. But it looks like you've had just a good time. We, we try to have a lot of fun in the summer. I've got two girls, and both of them are busy. And one is in college, so we try to grab as much time with her. And we live in downtown Nashville, which we've talked about a lot. So there's always, always something going on in downtown Nashville. So we'll go. Like last night, for instance, we decided to take a walk around the block just for fun and went by the baseball stadium. They had a soccer game going on, so we dropped in for a bit of that. Then we're walking on our way back through Bicentennial Park, which if you've been to Nashville, is pretty cool and there's somebody doing belly dancing in the middle of the park and so we stopped and videoed that yeah for a just a typical bit. day just a typical day mm-hmm. in downtown nashville so yeah we try to have fun what about you guys um we we took a big trip in may we went to hawaii for several days never done that before i cashed in you know every point that i had to get us there and uh that was a good time and then at the end of the summer we're going to meet our oldest daughter in colorado for some backpacking oh sweet i love color i was born in colorado i moved when i was two but still love it so chris we are engaging we are we are moving the show into a whole new arena Mm -hmm. beginning with episode 67 no format change so don't be misled (laughs) (laughs) brian is not quitting But we are—we're uh, going to be talking with a very special guest today. So you want to—you want to get us going here? Yeah, I'm very excited about this. Uh, this is a little bit off of our, our normal, but I'm—I'm I'm excited about having our guest. His name is Michael Weir, and Michael Weir is the founder of the Public Square Strategies uh, LLC, a consulting firm that helps businesses, nonprofits, foundations, and Christian organizations at the intersection of faith, politics, and culture. Um, Michael directed the faith outreach for President Obama's historic 2012 re-election campaign and was one of the youngest White House staffers in modern American history, leading evangelical outreach and helping manage the White House uh, engagement on religious and value issues, including adoption and anti-human trafficking efforts. Uh, He holds an honorary position at the University of Birmingham's Edward Cadbury Center for the Public Understanding of Religion and serves on the National Board of Bethany Christian Services. He's also the author of a book that um, I loved. It's a great book. It's called Reclaiming Hope, Lessons Learned in the Obama White House about the future of faith in America, and uh, lives with his wife, Melissa, in Washington, D.C. So, Michael, welcome to the program. Hi, it's great to be on, guys. Thanks for having me. Awesome. I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, first, and, and likely has not belly danced at the Centennial Park in uh, Nashville. <laughs> maybe not, but maybe should. <laughs> Give it a but shot. I have on the National Mall, though. That's a story for another time. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be in the outtakes. Yes. Episode 68. Yeah. <laughs> My, first of all, I just want to hear, how did you go straight? And I, I read the story a little bit in your book, but I'd love to hear it from you. How did you go straight from college to working in the Obama White House? What did that look like? Yeah, well, you know, it, it really starts with how I ended up going to college in D.C. And um, the, kind of the the, the the quick story there was um, I was – I was I would not have considered myself a, a Christian uh, as a teenager, uh, but my my sister got involved with uh, with a local church and started kind of 
working on me and uh, eventually convinced me to go to her youth group um, where I attended. I didn't like it. I couldn't really fit in. I didn't know the language. But on the way out, uh, a guy by the name of Joe Vacani, um, uh, I'm from Buffalo, New York, I should say, and uh, come from an Italian family. And uh, Joe Vacani obviously was Italian as well. Uh, he was a volunteer at the church, and he was handing out tracts of Romans. Uh, and I took one, and I took it home and read it, uh, and it changed my life. Um, 72 hours later, I told my sister I'd given my life to Christ, and from that point, it was like, well, well, what do I, what do I do? I was already interested in politics as a teenager because my grandfather served in World War II and was, uh, was a, was a pretty amazing guy uh, with, with uh, a passion for civic, civic interests, uh, though he wasn't terribly political. But when I came to Saving Faith, I uh, thought, well, now I need to become a, uh, go to seminary, become a pastor, because you know what, what, what would a good Christian do? Uh, but, but thankfully, I had people in my life who who pointed out to me that there were people who were Christians who were not pastors, uh, and that uh, led me <laughs> that to want to figure out how to be, what it meant so to be uh, faithfully following Jesus in public things. And mm-hmm. so that took me to D.C. when I went to George Washington University, and in my first uh, couple of years there, I was supposed to be leading a group of students to a political convention that was in town at the Washington Hilton Hotel. Uh, and now I show up to the hotel uh, and not too much is going on, but it was my first political convention. I kind of thought that I'd open up a ballroom door uh, and, and find it. Uh, but after walking around the hotel for 10, 15 minutes, I finally gave up and asked a receptionist and she said, you know, Oh honey, that that's not for another couple days. Like I, I just had the complete wrong date. And so I'm embarrassed and dejected. Um, leaving the hotel through the main lobby and walking towards me is a young senator that I, I knew a bit about, uh, by the name of Barack Obama. Uh, so this was in February of 2007. He was there to, to meet with, people who were who were attending the convention that would start in a couple days but he had not uh uh kind of uh, formally launched his presidential campaign so he didn't have secret service there wasn't sort of a huge crowd of people he basically walked up to me um and, and i i told him i wanted to work for him i followed uh his career since he became president of the harvard law review um uh had had followed closely his his first uh, few years in the senate and uh was um was an admirer of his and uh, 10 months later i was in iowa for the uh, for the iowa caucus in the presidential primary wow so that's it. <laughs> that's, yeah. all it takes. <laughs> that's it. So you know, if you can arrange to uh, to to uh, uh, serendipitously bump into the presidential candidate of your choice, uh, you too could <laughs> could you work on a presidential campaign. <laughs> I hear stories like that, and I say, "So, and, and what was I doing?" Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so my uh, not you were not lost. That that is what you were doing. You were <laughs> you you had your calendar straight. <laughs> oh, the shortfalls. <laughs> so Michael, it it seems like a lot of people that we run into and that you hear that you hear 
from and about come out of working in in, in administration, any administration, very cynical about a lot of things, you know, the process, Mm -hmm. just the future. And it seems like hope, you know, becomes tarnished at times. And, you know, I I think I I get it. I mean, I watch House of Cards like anybody else. So I (laughs) feel like I have a good understanding. But in your book, you express hope and optimism for the future. So I I would like to know how your experience um, is different in that way or was different. Yeah, well, so my job in the White House, uh, I was in the Office of Faith-Based Neighborhood Partnerships. And so that heavily influenced my view of D.C. and the process because every day uh, I I was working with um, faith with the faith community, with faith leaders, and with people of faith on the ground who were serving those most in need. I mean, that that was my job. I was talking with pastors and denominational leaders and all the great faith-based social service agencies that we have. And so when that's your uh, entry point, when, when, when that is uh, the primary way that you're engaging. My job was to help connect the resources of the federal government uh, to the faith community and help the president navigate religious and, and values issues. And, you know, you read my book, Chris, that there, it, it's, there are things to not be so optimistic about <laughs> regarding that. But I, I really did leave the White House more uh, more hopeful about our politics in our country than when I left, uh, because every day I got to see up close the the way that faith is motivating millions and millions of Americans to serve and love uh, their their neighbor in a way that's just difficult uh, to ignore, even though uh, so much of our public discourse does <laughs> does ignore uh, you know th- this work. Yeah. It- I tell people if you you know if you want to read Michael's book, read the last two chapters. If you don't want to, you know, if you want to say because it really yeah. does leave hope for the future, and especially kind of in kind of this this climate right now uh, with politics. And what I would love for you to speak into, Michael, is you know our audience is is mostly small group leaders at churches and small group staff people, and politics in a small group meeting is a tricky conversation. I mean, it's, it's, you know, a lot of times you don't want to go there or if it's brought up, you want to kind of get it out of the way as, as quick as possible. So in your opinion, how should small group leaders kind of approach the, the political topics when they're raised in, in a small group meeting, or should it even be discussed in that, in that format? Yeah, well, I think the the leader really has to be attuned to the dynamics of their group, and especially the leader can't get so caught up in their own uh, political interests that they're allowing conversations to proceed in a way that's harmful or disruptive to the, the the spiritual formation of others in in their in their group. My um uh my my wife and I actually um made a commitment to be a part of a small group while I was working uh, at the White House. The small group was you know just connected to our local church, and for me being in politics every day, it was uh, 
uh, it, it was a respite to go to small group in D.C. So there were several folks who worked in politics, but to where we were talking about Jesus, where we were talking about scripture, where we were going either through uh, uh, through. Uh, you know, a book with a study guide or going through a book of scripture. Uh, and that was, that was uh, deeply impactful to me. Now I do recommend to churches that they have small groups available for people to look at public issues through a Christian lens. And I think that's, that's important. Um, but for small groups that are not oriented around that purpose, I, I would be careful about especially setting up a culture where the first 15 minutes of the small group is small talk about the latest sort of political news of the day. And you don't quite know how you're alienating other members of of the group, especially new members to the small group. Um, now, that being said, so uh, you could have political focus small groups for those groups that are not focused on politics i just encourage folks to not um segment out the political talk from the the if they're going to talk about politics it should be explicitly through a lens of scripture <laughs> i think so often uh we get in christian settings talk about politics uh, but we talk about it as if uh as if God has nothing to say about it, <laughs> as if the rules of uh, 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 things like the, fr- the fruits of the Spirit uh, have nothing to say about our politics. And then we get into talking about how we need to uh, be slow to speak. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, we talk about scriptural admonitions in the context of interpersonal relationships. Well, we should bring that into the realm of politics as well. That's good. You actually, you host a podcast called The Intersection of Faith and Politics. Is that correct? That's right. I'm co-host of the Church Politics Podcast with uh, Justin Gibney. That's a weekly podcast, and we've been doing it for for a year. And that's that's exact uh, aim. It's to discuss political current event issues uh, through a Christian lens, uh, hopefully providing Christians some language and some ideas that they could use uh, in in their life as they're reading the newspaper and and talking with friends, uh, talking in their small groups. Mm-hmm. Chris, how would you answer that question? I mean, you've been in small group leadership for a long time, and it seems like, I mean, politics has always been a thing, right? But it does seem like that it is a new pitch in the last 8 to 12 years. Right. I mean, my answer usually is don't go there. Um, So you you just try to avoid it altogether. I mean, I think it's an offline conversation most of the time, but I think Michael is right, and I I think there are – you can't just separate politics from Christian values and, and God. And I think especially now in the climate that we have, I don't know that it's completely avoidable. But I think when there's and – that, and that leads to another thing I want to hear from Michael is just how, how do you have that conversation when you have opposing views? Because I know, Michael, you were in, in the White House with people that definitely had different views than you uh, with when it come, came to your Christian faith. So you're going to have to have some of those conversations, especially – Offline, so what I, I counsel small group leaders is, hey, you know, let's talk about that maybe over coffee. Um, let's yeah. take it outside of the group conversation. So that, that's kind of where I go with it. But Michael, how do how do you handle when you've got just opposing views? Yeah, you know, I think this can be a really powerful 
moment in several ways. First, when you're in conversations with those who did not share our faith, we have to we have to understand that uh, this moment of secularization in our country and you know the the fastest growing religion in America right now is atheism. Uh, we have uh, a third of millennials are religiously disaffiliated. Uh, that's uh, there are obviously reasons to be concerned about that. The opportunity is is in America we've never. Uh, had such an opportunity to present the gospel to people and present the Christian life to people um, uh, in such a fresh way. People are coming with less baggage, believe it or not, to the Christian faith, less sort of history with the Christian faith than ever before in this country. Uh, and so when we're talking with people who do not share our faith, uh, we uh, can First, recognize that not everyone shares our uh, knowledge. Not everyone's going to get our, and I tell a couple stories about this, not everyone's going to get scriptural references that 20, 30 years ago, whether you were religious or not, you'd know. Um, People are not going to understand sort of religious ideas that whether you were religious, uh, whether you're religious or not, 20, 30 years ago, you'd know. And so, you know, that, that would be the, this is actually a, a, a missional moment in a way that the church, you know, needs, needs to embrace. Um, and then just quickly, you know, when you're talking with other believers, I think, I think the potential in this moment is to disinvest ourselves of a political culture that seeks to, disciple us and shape our identity uh, more than the gospel of Jesus Christ shapes our identity. Um, and so it is It is very easy for uh, people to get involved with other uh, Christians in political conversations and, and lose, uh, lose sight of uh, the identity that we have in Christ and actually kind of lose themselves for, uh, for a minute uh, in those contexts. And uh, if we can use the toxicity of this moment to finally wean ourselves uh, off of this sort of suffocating political culture that is, um, again, you know, shaping us and in, forming us in ways that are, uh, that, that are uh, taking away from our formation in Christ, then this could be a, a very uh, beneficial and, and helpful and edifying turning point for the church and for this country. So two things here. I just want to be sure in terms of group life that don't get lost in this. Um, A couple of things that Michael has said. One is he used the term respite in a culture that is absolutely saturated with news. And I don't consider myself the most informed or the most newsy person by any means. But I have the CNN app on my phone and I see Fox News and all the news outlets, you know, playing on televisions in public places where you go and you can't help but see the, the headlines. And then there's conversations in the hallways and the water cooler people we are bombarded with these messages constantly so group life is a respite from that and like michael has said this is a time when you focus on the scripture the second thing that i think we need to be sure that we catch here because these conversations are going to come up you can try to avoid them but it's just going to happen in most instances is the idea of an opportunity to make an application so yes if a political uh let's say 
point is made or something and we all you know i don't know about you guys and chris i'm sure you're this way you can feel it kind of starting to move (laughs) you can feel that nexus when the conversation is starting to make that turn you're like oh boy it's the leader you're sitting back (laughs) gotta bring it back fruit loops but it's an opportunity like michael said to make an application and so if you're talking about some of the things that are currently hot um you know associated with gender and all kinds of the like sexuality and orientation Take the opportunity to talk about identity in Christ and who we are in Christ and go to the Ephesians, the indicatives of Ephesians 1, 2, 3, and this is who we are and how we need to relate. And that's a, those are – it's two ways to make the conversation more edifying, but it also is a bring-back moment. So yeah. I think in terms of group life with these things, and I think Chris is – uh, and Michael, I think you would agree, you know, what we don't want to do and something that, that's really big in our group is we don't want to be a distraction. Mm-hmm. You know, remember why we're here. This is not a forum for public, you know, for political debate. But we also <laughs> it's such a big part of our lives and, yeah. you know, our day to day ness that you also just can't ignore it. So, Michael, that was I mean, that's we really appreciated those two things. Um, last question I would ask is um, what is the ultimate hope? For Christians in our current political climate, you know, Chris referenced the the uh, the uh, the contentious election season that's coming up, and uh, you know, like I've already said, this there's just we seem to be so polarized now. So, in your book and just in your experience, what's our, what's the ultimate hope in this context? Yeah, well, let me let me paraphrase something that I quote in the book from. Uh, pastor Tabidi Anubuile, who's a pastor right here in D.C., uh, and in a conversation around criminal justice reform, uh, he, he said that, uh, that while he, he, he had hopes for political progress, that we could improve criminal justice policies so that they're more restorative, so that they respect human dignity more. He said, you know, and again, I'm paraphrasing here, he said, my greatest hope uh, is that the, the, the greatest criminal justice system is on its way, and it will be inaugurated by the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so my, my I think our greatest political hope is that the greatest government ever known to mankind one that one that one that acts with complete justice and complete mercy and complete truth uh, will be inaugurated and it will be inaugurated with the with the coming of Jesus Christ and then what we have the opportunity to do in the meantime as Christians is to not treat politics as this separate cordoned off area that God doesn't understand, that Jesus is terrified of or confused by, but that politics is actually one essential form in which Christians can love their neighbor. That politics is is one way that one form where we can enter and say, not just how am I going to act to advance my interests or to fill my emotional needs, but how can I act in a way that is cognizant of and intended toward the good of my neighbors, even those who I disagree with. And uh, that that hope, that hope of Christians empowered by the Holy Spirit, uh, guided by Jesus Christ, uh, might improve the circumstances of the places they find themselves in. Uh, that, that's something that gets me fired up, should get other folks fired up. Uh, and, and that is a great hope in this climate or any other. Well, Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. You want to tell us a little bit about what's next for you and uh, what you're most excited about? 
Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm continuing to travel around the country talking about reclaiming hope, talking about Christian faithfulness in politics. And so that's that's exciting. Uh, I'm continuing to work with uh, Justin Gibney uh, with the Church Politics Podcast, and we have some exciting things uh, on the way. And then, you know, this is just a, a very complex time uh, for uh, for Christians in in public life, and so you know, it's been my joy to partner with Christian uh, ministries and organizations and foundations to help them uh, not just avoid sort of the pitfalls of this moment, but take advantage of, of some of the opportunities. and And uh, it's been it's been a joy to do that work. And again, the book is Reclaiming Hope: Lessons Learned in the Obama White House about the future of faith in America. And you can follow Michael at uh, michaelware.com, and that's where W-E-A-R. And, Michael, you're also on Twitter, right? Michael R. I am. Too much, as my wife would say, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Michael, you know, Michael are, R. Ware. Yeah, wives are good for humility. <laughs> Michael is very active in social media, so he's, he's a fun follow. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all those. Well, that's going to do it for Episode 67. Thank you, Michael Ware. Chris, always a pleasure. Yep. How about we do it again? Let's do it. So that's uh, for Brian Daniel and Chris Surratt. We will see you next time. <laughs>